Welcome back, everybody. Andy Hamilton of Track Wrestling here with our rankings guru, David Miracatani, on the other line. Another new set of rankings are out. If you're listening to this on iTunes, you can check the rankings out on the news portal at trackwrestling.com. If you're already on the portal listening to this, you can download the Track Wrestling podcast on the Matt Talk podcast network on iTunes where you can catch David's weekly Matt chat. Lots of good stuff in that. His interviews with Oklahoma State assistant Eric Guerrero and Missouri assistant Alex Clemson have been terrific. He's going to have some great stuff coming down the line here. Uh, welcome back, David. Great to have you back again this week. Thanks for having me, and thanks for the plug. Those those guys did an awesome job in the interviews. I think they gave some insights out that you don't normally hear, so I really encourage people to listen to them. I thought they were wonderful. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Well, let's get to it. Uh, we're going to take a run through the uh, rankings here real quick. Uh, 1 through 10, 125 through heavyweight, starting with 125. Very little movement in the rankings there. Moving on to 133, the top eight all remain the same, but uh, Kevin DeVoy of Drexel knocks off Penn State's Jared Cortez at the Keystone Classic, and he moves up to number 11 at 133. 141, some shakeup there. Matt Kaladzic, the freshman from Princeton, knocks off Anthony Ashnault on a late takedown that moves him up from 11 to 5. Nebraska's Colton McChrystal, we've seen him go, go from outside the rankings all the way up to number 10 in two weeks thanks to a title at the Harold Nichols Open and a win last week over returning NCAA finalist Bryce Meredith of Wyoming. Uh, that loss drops Meredith to number 10, and then uh, the the other big movement was uh, Kyle Springer of Eastern Michigan over Jimmy Gullibon from Penn State. Gullibon falls from 7 to 19. Moving on to 149, a colossal mess after the top <laughs> seven there. Uh, you know, you can leave your Apple headphones in your pocket and they, they go through the wash and they get tangled up. Um, imagine having like 18 pairs of Apple headphones in your pocket running them through the wash and trying to get them untangled. And then you kind of get an idea of what we were dealing with here. Um, this was kind of like the blue screen on your computer that uh, pops up with a warning message. that it says it, it's stuck in an infinite loop. It's definitely stuck in an infinite loop. Um, David, how did, how did you uncrack this one? Well, with a lot of help from you and from Mark Ostrander, I mean, normally what we do is we take all the data and, usually takes us about 15, yeah, 15, 20 minutes to sort of wait out. This wait got so bad that the first night we did it, we gave up and then spent another, and I literally looked at the length of our call, an hour and 12 minutes to sort it out. But I think what we ended up doing is just trying to find the guys that were undefeated and ranking them. And then this became a wait that was more of a body of work than head-to-head because so many guys have beaten so many guys and have taken bad losses. And, and, and I think we all know that that's how it goes as the season goes on, that it's more of a body of work. You know, losses earlier in the year mean less than losses later in the year. So this, I think, is the first weight that really shows that. And uh, I would expect a lot more movement, especially – you know, eight through twenty-five. Um, there's there's not a lot separating a lot of these guys because there's has been so much inconsistency. And you did talk about thirty-three, and and Duvoy was a surprise somewhat, but he was very good at one thirty-three two years ago. He won the IWAs. I think he was just wrestling out of his weight class last year, coming back down 
I think that guy's legit, um, and that's a way with, again, where there's some young guys right around there so he can make an impact as well for, for Drexel. Moving on to 157, top 10 all remain the same here. Very little movement in the top 25 here at all, which uh, was was a nice reprieve after all the, <laughs> the yeah. power we burned on 149. 165, um, a couple big uh, results there. Vincenzo Joseph of Penn State handles Chad Walsh, a writer, and, and that moves him up from 15 to 11 where uh, Walsh, uh, returning All-American who had been at number four falls to number 12. 174, we did not get the marquee matchup we were hoping to see this weekend with number one, Bo Jordan, against Arizona State's Zahid Valencia. Uh, but we saw some – we saw a big upset there nonetheless. Zach Brunson from Illinois uh, got pinned at the Joe Parisi Open by Oklahoma State back of Jacoby Smith. You left him at eight, David. What went into your decision to leave him at eight? Well, I mean, first of all, he's got to win over Ramos and 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 Wanzik beat Koser, and Koser defeats Weatherspoon, and Weatherspoon beat Bernstein, and then Shakur Rashid beat Morelli, and so it was either move Brunson sort of below all that or leave him where he was. Um, my ties are in junior college. And Jacoby Smith is a, a junior college guy from NEO and Joe Renfro. And the guys I talked to in junior college said he was the best kid in junior college last year, and it wasn't close. And that he actually beat Chandler Rogers a year ago when he was wrestling for NEO early in the season in an open tournament. So when you have that data point along with just, you know, being able to talk to certain guys in the room and talking about how well that guy's wrestling – he'd probably be a top-eight guy right now if, if he were wrestling. And so that's kind of how I looked at it. I'm like, well, he, he's probably a seven, eight, nine guy, and, and Brunson's at eight. and So he lost to that guy. And uh, it was a – the 10 wasn't a fluke, but it wasn't like he was getting his tail kicked. It was a one-point match, and he turned him over and pinned him. So uh, it's like anything else. You know, I mean, there's an argument the other way, but I think – the most defendable argument is he lost to a really good guy that a lot of people will not know about until now, but I guarantee you we'll be talking about this guy next year when Kyle Crutchman graduates because I think Oklahoma State is really set at that weight for the next three years with Crutchman and then Jacoby. Yeah, they're set at a lot of weights like that, uh, you know, where <laughs> they can go too deep. Um, you know, all sorts of guys in, in the 33-41 range, you throw fix into the mix next year. It's um, you know John's got a John Smith's got a lot of lot of options at, at several weights there. So 184 top eight all remain the same. Um, Rutgers and Princeton wrestled on a football field, and uh, Rutgers Nick Gravina put up a football score on Princeton. Ian Baker winning 24 three there, and and uh, you know that that vaults him up. Um, you know, he moves all the way up to, um, let's see, he moves from 15 to 10. 10 Baker right. drops to 11. Um, yes. Plots in ahead of Jack Deckow, Willie Miklas at 13 there. Um, that's that's another interesting part of, of the weekend of what transpired. Willie Miklas of Missouri, we got to see him against Zach Zavatsky of Virginia Tech, number nine. 
And that match only went about a minute and a half into the first period before Miklas was injured, unfortunately. So we'll see how that plays out, how long, if at all, Willie Miklas is out. I, I, I got to believe the way that, uh, uh, you know, he went off the mat, needing need assistance to go off the mat and couldn't continue, that they're, they're going to be without him for a little little time here. But uh, have not heard yet how long Missouri will be without him. Uh, 197. Uh, Sean Scott, Northern Illinois, falls from 6 to 19 after losing to Austin Severn at the Michigan State Open. And then heavyweight, uh, Kyle Snyder's not going to move in the rankings um, unless he falls, but uh, he certainly stamped himself, uh, you know, as an even heavier favorite, in, in my opinion, at, at heavyweight with the show he put on against number four, Tanner Hall, I believe, 10 takedowns in a 20 to eight major decision there, quite a show. And then uh, I think Nick Nevels from Penn state uh, is beginning to look like the guy that, that we all thought he would probably be last year before the injury bug hit um, big win for him against Denzel DeJernet, uh on the weekend. So, you know, looking back as a whole, David, what, uh, what were your big takeaways for the weekend? Nevels, I think, you know, we, Penn state, if you look at the, the Keystone Classic tournament. Uh, Neville's moved up, but stayed in that 9 through 12 range. But, you know, if he moves up one more slot, that's more points for Penn State. Uh, McCutcheon, same thing, moved from 10 to 9, and, uh, you know, one more, and that's another three and a half points. And then they've got those same kind of things at 74 with uh, Shakur Rashid or Morelli. And Vincenzo at 11, uh, that he. I think that's the consensus of where he is, but the Keaton subject match he lost, and that's that's what's holding him back. And he got he got six pointed a couple times in that match. So, you know, as as the season moves on and we get further away from that loss, I would expect him to slide up. Um, Michigan redshirting everybody, and you know, I saw you mention this in the in the headline of the rankings that it it had a big impact on the rankings for a lot of teams because guys slid up just because good Michigan guys slid out. So, you know, that was a big impact. Um, and then, uh, you know, I got a chance to watch the Missouri duel, and that was a really – that was a cool meet. The the Princeton-Rutgers duel in the football stadium was really cool. And then I know I texted you Friday, and you were at UNI, and, and that environment looked pretty electric as well. So those those are kind of some of the, my highlights for the weekend. Well, you mentioned Penn State. And Penn State wins eight titles at the Keystone Classic and stays at number four in our rankings, but actually loses ground to Oklahoma State and the teams above. Can you explain how that happened? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's, maybe this is an oversimplification, but the only way to move up in the rankings, in anybody's rankings, whoever does them, and, you know, if, if certainly if people have different methodologies, but is to beat guys that are ranked ahead of you or to have guys ranked ahead of you lose to guys that are ranked behind you. And the problem with that tournament was the eight weights they won, and five or six of them, they didn't wrestle anybody ranked anywhere close to ahead of them. So they, they could only go down. I mean, and part of it is they're really good guys. I mean, Rutherford can only go down – uh, Jason Nolf can only go down, you know, that weekend. Only Nickel could only go down. Soriano could only go down. Um, and, you know, the guys that could go up, uh, like Neville's we talked about did, 
but then there were some guys that could go down that did, and, and the big one for them was Gulaban because he dropped out of a uh, top eight slot to below that, and then at 33, Cortez lost, we mentioned this, to Devoy. He didn't lose any points. He went from 9th to 12th, which is all that same tier of two team points, but now he's behind Devoy, he's behind Stevan Misik, and he's behind Jay Nyerman, who... And Ironman, especially Aiden Russell, is a superstar this weekend, but looked really good. So, um, obviously, the Big Ten schedule is awesome, and those guys will get a chance to prove everything. And they may hit Illinois and Oklahoma State head-to-head at a lot of weights at Reno, which could change a lot of things as well. And and, and Penn State can benefit, uh, for example, you know, like at 33, if Shram wrestles in uh, – Cliff Keen and beats guys, you know, that are ranked ahead of Soriano, then then they slide behind. So they can actually benefit by sitting still, too. So, I mean, and that's just how it goes. If A beats B and B beats C, then this early in the year, you have to put them in that order. Or at least that's how we do it. Yep. Well, we're going to be talking about the track rankings here each week, but we're also going to be keeping an eye on the NWCA coaches poll and what's going on there, because that's that's the one that's going to have some implications on the end of the year dual championship series. And, and one of the things that's interesting probably to a lot of people is Missouri beats Virginia tech on Sunday without a couple of starters in the lineup. And, and yet the Hokies stay ahead of the tigers in our rankings. Um, NWCA poll Missouri uh, remains ahead of Virginia tech, but the numbers shake out in the track wrestling rankings, and Virginia Tech still has a 13-and-a-half-point lead over the Tigers in our rankings. How can Missouri make up that ground? You know, well, I look at it. Go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, I look at it, and, and you see McGee sitting in there at 11, Ironman at 9, Lavalley at 9, Willie Nicholas at 13. Um, that's a way that they could quickly make up those points. Uh, but, but I, I, you know, explain to um, to our listeners, you know, the difference there between the two dynamics. Well, yeah, a couple things. First of all, when you're compiling the rankings, you should really not even be thinking about who the teams are. And I think you and I try really hard not to do that and then just literally add them up and then the team scores are what they are. But you can't go, well, if I rank this guy here, it'll help their team. It's completely the wrong way to do it. Um, The second thing is, and I love sayings that are succinct and really get to the point. I heard this a couple years ago from somebody I really respect, and he said, in a tournament, your best guys matter, and in a dual meet, your worst guys matter. And I guess the best example is if a team had four national champions and six almost default forfeit kind of guys, they'd lose every duel and then they would score at least 80 points at nationals. So an 80 points in any given year is almost always going to be in the top six or seven, but they could be 0 and 12. So Missouri's strength is they're not really bad at any weight. Their two weakest weights on paper are 74 and heavyweight, and Dylan Wisman was wrestling very well against Epperly. He got caught. Pin, but he was winning. He was winning three to nothing. And then, you know, heavyweights, they got beat, but they got beat by a really good guy. And Austin Myers has credentials. And I certainly think most people would expect him to qualify. And 
and maybe be able to make some noise at nationals. Um, Virginia Tech, they got more guys that are, you know, ranked in the top, top five, top six, where there's more points. So, you know, they've got, I mean, obviously Mizzou has Jaden Cox, but Virginia Tech's got Joey Dance. They've got Wall. They've got Epperly. Um, they've got Solomon Chisco. So they got four or five guys up there that score a lot of points. And, you know, if most of us who wrestled, if we were on a, I mean, I remember one year at the state tournament, me and one guy took eighth at state by ourselves. And we did not have a good dual meet team, but we had two guys completely bonus their way through the tournament, and that's what can happen. So I think Missouri might have the best dual meet team in the country, and we'll probably find out because they're going to duel Ohio State and they're going to duel Oklahoma State, and then they'll duel one of the Big Ten schools when they cross over for the national duels. So they just need those other guys, like you said, to get out of that 9 through 13 range and get into the 6, 7, range, six, seven 8 range or higher, and then their team scores are going to go up accordingly. Man, that uh, Missouri-Oklahoma State duel could be a lot of fun, and there's a lot on the line that uh, a lot could be riding on the line there when those teams meet. I mean, the the fact that Missouri beat Virginia Tech puts Missouri uh, sort of in the driver's seat where they can con- control their own destiny in, in terms of that race and hosting that end-of-the-year duel sort of leaves Virginia Tech on the outside now. It does. They need Oklahoma State to beat Missouri and then some other stuff to happen. And that, you know, that'd be the second time where Virginia Tech's kind of had it tough because last time they beat Iowa State earlier in the year and then they lost to Iowa State with three starters out. And then, you know, they ended up not getting the duel they wanted. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and I can tell you that in Missouri, Brian Smith wants to win the national duels. Like that's, that's a goal. And their, their program, that's a, a goal of their program. Coach Clemson talked about that a little bit, um, you know, off the record when I was putting together the interview. And I don't know that it's that important to every other school as it is to them. It's very, very important to them. So, you know, I think they knew that. Um, you know, they, the duel in my mind really came down to 41 where Sinan beat Gustafson. I mean, you know, obviously there's always some breaks. And, you know, when Virginia Tech got a – you know, got six points at 84 because Nicholas was hurt. No matter who you pick in that, you don't think one guy's going to pin the other guy. So, you know, but it ended up being a five-point duel, and if 141 goes the other way, everything else stays the same. Virginia Tech wins that duel. Um, but Mizzou matches up really well with almost everybody because they've got certain guys they can count on to win almost every time, and they don't really have anybody that you go, well, we're probably going to lose that weight no matter what. And Almost every other school's got one or two guys like that, so that's why yeah, we're so good. Yeah, we talked about the depth that uh, Oklahoma State has, but you know you got to look at that uh, that in the same light from Missouri. I mean, you, you know they they throw Aaron Acid out there, 125 pounds, and you know I think it was an eight to four match against Joey Dance, so you know they don't give up big points there. Um, you mentioned Sinan. At 141, um, heck of a backup there to be able to, to beat a guy in, in uh, Gustafson, who I, I was really impressed with him Friday night against Northern Iowa. Uh, you know, I thought he put on a show, you know, in, in his victory Friday night. So, 
um, tip of the hat to Missouri for the depth that they've, uh, they've accumulated there. So, um, you know, we're four weeks into this thing, you know, we're, we just put out our week four rankings. What has impressed you or what, what has surprised you through the first three weeks from a national well, standpoint? I got a couple of buddies and we would kind of always do these rankings, you know, just amongst ourselves, but I think we're like a lot of guys or we were, we just paid attention to maybe the top eight, top 12 guys. And, you know, who's going to be on the podium, who's going to be in the quarters, who's going to be in the semis. It's amazing to me how much uh, movement there was, you know, there has been in like those 12 through 25 spots in a lot of weights. And the other thing, I think there's a, a philosophy here that either, and, and ranking guys look at it differently. Some people really put a much more emphasis on the regular season. And if you don't place at nationals, they'll just look at it like you had a bad tournament. There's other people that look at it and go, the national tournament is really what it's all about. So if you have a bad tournament there, that needs to be a major detriment or punishment. I tend to fall in the second category because I'm a historian of the sport and kind of a dork about that stuff. So I can tell you guys that won national 30 years ago and things like that. And they don't, nobody remembers what their regular season record was. And the guys that were ranked really high that have lost so far were guys that didn't have great regular seasons last year that made a great run through the tournament and deservedly so, but then lost, you know, for example, like at, at 41 Meredith was like, I think of 13 or 14 seed last year. It didn't have anything. 14 or 15. Yeah. He didn't have, he didn't have anything clear out of his way. He beat all good guys on the way to the finals, but had the season deserving of a 15 seed and right now, he, you know, his season, he's ranked 11th, and everybody else has him ranked like 6 to 11 like we do. And then Weatherspoon's another example of a guy that, you know, wasn't, I think, was seeded 13 or 14 again. And we've got him 12, and he's kind of the average of all the rankings. He's right around 12. And so you're kind of seeing a regression to the mean. And then the other thing is, and, and this is early, but hardly, in a lot of weights, hardly any of the top guys have hit each other yet. So I think that's, you know, I think all of us as fans are really looking forward to, like, you know, I'm looking at our, our rankings right now, like Bo Jordan and Epperly, hopefully they wrestle in Vegas. You know, I mean, there's a bunch of examples like that between Vegas, Midlands, and Scuffle before you get into the conference dual meet seasons where you'll see a ton of these matchups and it'll stop being guessing at projections and we'll have hard results on that stuff. So, I mean, that's, you know, those are kind of the things I'm looking forward to. Yeah, for sure. We're just getting going here. Um, this weekend, what do you have your eye on? I guess really two meets, Cornell Rutgers. Um, you know, Rutgers, I guess like in football, they might call it a trap game. You know, they came off that big battle in the stadium. And, um, you know, I was impressed that Rutgers won the duel after Ashnault lost because I, I really feel like Ashnault's the leader on that team and for them to bounce back and, you know, and beat a very good Princeton team, that that was impressive. Um, you know, Cornell, we haven't seen a lot of results out of uh, Rio Buto. I don't think we have any results yet out of Palacio. They've got some guys that are kind of under the radar, uh, Joe Galasso, you know, Mark Gray, you know, he's starting to make some noise, Macri. They've got a sneaky good team, Owen Scott, Jeremy Sweeney. So, 
I think that's a really interesting duel. Like Rutgers is another one of those teams that doesn't really have anybody bad. Like, you know, they can win a lot of duels. And then the other one's Oklahoma State, Minnesota, I guess for a couple reasons. One, Oklahoma State's number one. Two, you know, Minnesota, they won that crazy duel with South Dakota State on a, on a stalling DQ with four seconds left in the last wait. But this is where the team race could tighten up because Oklahoma State will be favored in probably eight of the matches, the first eight. And so they can only lose ground there. For example, you know, Mitch McKee's had very good success against Cade Brock in high school. So if Mitch McKee won that match, it wouldn't be a huge shock, but Cade Brock would fall out of the top eight. So he would fall, I don't know exactly where, but he'd lose at least four and a half points. And, you know, any of these other guys that would lose a match, they're going to fall because they're ranked, you know, Oklahoma State's ranked in the top eight at 33 through 97. So, I mean, really, Weigel's the only guy that could lose and not fall, you know, because, I mean, he's going to wrestle far. And, you know, if he lost, it wouldn't hurt him. But anybody else, you know, they would fall and there's – so I think that's interesting. I think that means that Minnesota, and Minnesota always wrestles well at home. And I mean, there's matches. Kretschmer has to wrestle Wanzek. Um, uh, I mean, there's, you know, we already mentioned 33. There's just a couple really good matchups there that would be difficult for, for Oklahoma State. And you almost go, well, it's going to be hard for a team. It's hard to go into Minnesota and win that eight out of ten matches. I think maybe that's in a nutshell. So I think there's probably going to be an upset, and the team scores will probably tighten up a little bit this weekend. Well, hey, that'll do it for this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, David Mirkatani, for your time. Greatly appreciate it. Happy Thanksgiving, Andy. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving to everybody listening out there. So check back to Track Wrestling throughout the week for more wrestling coverage more college breakdowns of what's ahead for the weekend and you can also uh, look for david's matt chat Uh, again i'd encourage you to listen to that i think there's some some tremendous insight in that so check back to track wrestling for that stuff thank you everybody for listening this week